My name is John Wayne McMahon. I'm one of the pastors on staff and lead pastor in core. It is good to be with you. I'm thankful for those in the room. I'm thankful for those that are joining online. I'm thankful to be preaching again. I've been out for like a month. I mean, I've been here, but we've heard a lot of voices with our last sermon series. And so I woke up like I was doing this for the first time again this morning. So you're going to get all of the John Wayne you can handle today. Some of you, my family's here. They're like, nah, I didn't sign up for that. Uh, Some of you, that hopefully is a good thing, but I'm excited more than anything to begin this sermon series called I Believe on the Apostles' Creed. We're going to look at the statements of the Apostles' Creed and we're going to discern, we're going to learn together and press into what that creed means for us and that this creed starting today will begin to be a part of who we are in this service. But we'll get to that. Let's look at 1 John. We're in chapter 1, verse 1, reading four verses. Hear the word of the Lord. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks again for your presence here in this space. And I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of this scripture, your holy word. Where we are empty, would you fill us? Where we are weak, would you strengthen us? Where we are wrong, would you correct us? And would you send us out once more? And God, I pray for myself that you would speak through me or in spite of me, but may it be your message that's delivered. We love you and trust you. It's in Jesus' name. Let all God's people say, amen. Well, let's go back to Easter. Not this previous Easter, but let's go back together to maybe one of the first Easter's long ago on the first century. We have to go back that far to be introduced to what we see today and what we're going to talk about with the Apostles' Creed. See, on that Easter, thousands of years ago, right before Easter, the night before, there would be a group of new believers that would spend all night, all night in prayer, in worship, in study to prepare for what that next day, this Easter would mean for them. This was a part of entering into the faith as a new believer. And they might've spent an entire year or years being catechized or educated, learning what it means to be Christian before they would say, before a gathering of other believers, their profession of faith and to walk into this dangerous, this dangerous faith in the midst of persecution and hardship, this is how baptism would work. And what would happen was as soon as the sun would begin to come up, the the dawn would arrive, these believers would be led in front of the entire gathering of people. They would be stripped down, removed all of their clothes and prayed over them a prayer of faith and confession, but also a prayer denouncing evil and Satan in their lives and over the world. Women would let their hair down, all jewelry removed, and they would go as they came into the world into the baptismal waters. And as he or she is led into the waters with the gathering of believers, they would be asked this question, do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? 
and they would say, yes, this I believe. And they'd be submerged in the water and raised up. And then asked another question, do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord? And they would say, yes, this I believe. And they'd be submerged and raised up. And then asked the third question, do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins? Do you believe in life eternal? And they would say, yes, this I believe and submerged a third time. And then afterwards they'd be received into the body of Christ and participate in the very first, their first Eucharistic Lord's Supper together. They would say the Apostles' Creed, they would confess their faith and be welcomed to the table for the first time. The imagery is great. This went on for centuries. This is the way people came and confessed and professed what it means to believe in Jesus. And what I've done here is invite you into a firsthand account of the baptismal vigil documented in the early church. But this is where we turn to learn about the Apostles' Creed, the earliest known creed. See, the misnomer about the Apostles' Creed is folks think that the apostles wrote it. I mean, that's, I would guess that too if I didn't know any different. That maybe the New Testament authors or the 12 disciples, they, they wrote down a line, a piece, and then we have the Apostles' Creed. And that's not the case. It's called the Apostles' Creed because it is born out of the apostles' teaching and leadership all throughout that early church. But it's the longest known creed that we have. It gives the boundaries and lays out the faith for those that would profess faith in Jesus Christ. It is our most historic creed. And I wanna introduce us to it. We're gonna spend the next 15-ish weeks on the apostles' creed. And even today, what I wanted to do was to start on the first line. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But I tell you, as I started to write that sermon in introducing the creed and then trying to get on the first line, I had like an hour and a half long sermon. And so you're welcome. I split that up. And today we're gonna do a little bit of the background and then look at that first line next week. And so when I go a little bit over today, just know that I graciously loved you and it could have been worse, okay? So I just want you to know that up front. But for you note takers and those type A's in the room, here's my outline, cards on the table. Here's where we're going today. We wanna answer three questions. Why is the Apostles' Creed important? Why should we even spend time on it? Secondly, how do we know the God of this creed? Because these new baptized people that we talked about, they could lose their lives and their family and everything to profess what is held in the creed. Why would they do that? How do they know the God that they are professing to? And third, how do we believe? How do we put faith in this thing, this existence that for much of our reality feels hard to put our hands around, hard to grasp. And so I love where we're going today because if you're new or visiting Marvin or maybe you were dragged here by family because you were seeing family over the weekend, I dragged all my family to boost our numbers here this week. And, and so maybe you were here for some reason random and you don't know what you believe about these statements that we say then you get to be introduced, I believe, to what the historic church has said about the triune three-in-one God and the faith that we hold together. So let's look at the first question. Why is the Apostles' Creed important? I wanna give you three points here. One, what we believe is important. 
what we hold to, what shapes our life, the things that we hold, it is important. What we tell ourselves, what we lead our family on, it is important. Secondly, the creed is biblical, and I need you to know that. We're not just preaching some poem that's been around forever in a vacuum, it is biblical. And third, the creed teaches anchors and directs us. So let's look at belief. I wanna say a word about belief. Believing in something is more than just knowing something. Believing in something, at least in a biblical understanding, the Greek understanding of believing and putting our faith in something, it also includes obedience. It, it must shape our life and form us. We must be different by this creed or else we're just saying something out loud. We've got to believe in it enough that our life is shaped and formed. Does saying something over and over again by itself affect you? Sure, if you tell yourself you're stupid every day, it's going to have some formation, right? I don't recommend that. If we say this creed every day, is there some formation quality? Yes, but what I'm trying to tell you today that we could add the creed to this service and we could say it every week until Jesus comes back. But if we don't believe it, if it doesn't shape and form our life, then it's a waste of time. And we're gonna get out a little bit later and the Baptists are gonna beat us to lubies, right? It has to mean something for us as families and individuals and as a congregation. Belief is important. Secondly, you can know these words and not believe in them specifically. You can talk about uh, Jesus being the only son, our Lord, or born, uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary and not know what you believe about virgin birth or about resurrection from the dead or about eternal life. And so the, the, we're going through this series together so that we might say, honestly, what do we believe about each one of these statements? Is it just a rubber stamp for us? Something, well, you're supposed to do it at church, so let's do it. You're supposed to pray, so I guess let's pray together. Or is it something more? Secondly, why, do we do, why are we looking at this creed and, and why is it important? It's because it's biblical. The truths within this creed are completely big, biblical. Listen, there are some of you that came into this room and you have like high church liturgical background. Maybe you grew up in an Anglican church or something and we're doing a creed series and you're like, what? This is awesome. You're like nerding out. You're like, I didn't even think this was possible. And then there's some in the room that have like East Texas Bible Belt, extra evangelical. I made that word up, right? Uh, where, where you came from this Bible teaching church and you're like, I only need one creed. It's right here. Now listen, Buckaroo, I hear you. Uh, this is good. I said that at the first service. I don't know where Buckaroo came from. And I promised Mark, I would say it again. So you're welcome. Listen, the creed is born out of the writings of the New Testament. It's born out of our historic faith. These statements that people would say in baptism, they are statements, professions that come right out of our revealed historic faith in the Bible. So we look at it because it's biblical. We teach it and lean into it because it is from the Bible as well. So each week we're preaching on text. We're going to talk about 1 John today, not just the creed by itself. Third, it teaches, anchors, and directs. The Apostles' Creed, any of our creeds, the Creed, Athanasius' Creed, Nicene Creed, we don't, that'll be another series, I guess, if y'all want to come back. But the Apostles' Creed, it teaches us the way of the faith. Those that are getting baptized would learn these statements of the faith. I used that $100 seminary word, catechism, earlier. That means Christian education. That word literally means echo. 
it echoes to us what we believe of the Christian faith so that we might know it and walk in it. Secondly, it anchors us. It anchors our faith to non-negotiable truth. This creed ties us to the mast of our faith so that we don't drift where we don't belong. When I first started, we were coming up on a year, my very first week in core, uh, Doug, Dr. Doug Baker, our senior pastor was on quarantine. So he had to introduce me via screen, right? So he had this video message. And um, one of the awkward things that happened that week is he told the core community that I go to Union Theological Seminary. If any of you were here or watching this, I think we were all watching, we were online at that point. My very first day I had to correct my new boss and tell him I went to United Theological Seminary, not Union. That seems petty, right? Why would you do that? Shouldn't you like, you know, be nice to your senior pastor? And the reason why I had to do this is because at that time in social media and across the news, Union Theological Seminary is a seminary in New York that was being shown everywhere because on Earth Day, they filled their sanctuary with plants and they profess and worshiped and asked for forgiveness from the plants. Weird. And I was worried that if you Google this, you'd be like, who is this kook that they sent us? Like, why is this happening? And it, it, it's a funny, weird thing that is going on. I don't say this to pick on union, but at the same time, the president of the seminary interviewed by New York Times admitted to not, not believing in a virgin birth or a little res, literal resurrection, that it was just a metaphor. And listen, if the resurrection is just a metaphor, all cards on the table, don't come next week. Sleep in and go to brunch. Beat the Baptist to Lubies. I don't care, but you can find better things to do if what we are talking about in this creed are just good, hopeful metaphors. Because metaphors don't save you from the throes of addiction. Metaphors don't bring salvific power and healing into your lives. Metaphors don't save for us from the chaos that we see in this world. It has to be more. Paul says, if it's not true, then our faith is futile. And so this creed anchors us to things that are non-negotiable. See, the plant worship is weird, but when you begin to believe in these truths as being negotiable, a lot of weird things come after it. Y'all, you may have no idea what's going on in the United Methodist Church and the denomination, and I'm not gonna get into it today, but a lot of our problems is because we've taken core beliefs and made them negotiable. To let them just be something that we can, well, if you don't, you don't believe in that, that's okay. And it becomes a real problem when that plays out down the road. And so the creed gives us these non-negotiable truths. We can fight all day long about infant baptism, but we will not argue about the truth, veracity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and eternal life. We won't. That has to be non-negotiable for us. And third, we use the creed because it directs our worship in the proper direction. We say the creed because it's formational and directional. It informs our worship. It takes our hearts that are prone to wonder and points it back to the one who has saved us and called us to him. Y'all, in contemporary worship, we are guilty of singing all kinds of subjective things here. Like, God, you make me feel wonderful, right? And God, I feel this way when you're in the room. And God, I'm gonna do this for you. And I'm going this way. Now listen, this team and the commitment from here tries to not live in that land, right? But one of the things I want you to see about this creed is it takes the subjective eye and it anchors it to the objective living God. 
the non-arguable living God. I believe in God, the father maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. It takes our heart prone to wonder and it anchors it to the one who is always faithful. The one who is here to meet us every time we gather. How do we know the God of this creed is the next question. If we believe the creed's important, the creed points to a living God. How do we know that that God is real? How do we know that that God is true? Now for me to say that there are even objective truths in this creed is to make the claim that we can know that they're true. All right, we're doing a little philosophy here, hang with me. That we know that God is real and in the world. So how can we say that we know God? Well, if you share my experience, a lot of times growing up in church, uh, oftentimes when I would ask questions like this, they would often tell me well-meaning people, good leaders in the church, well, son, you just have to have faith. And that is frustrating because what the heck does that even mean, right? What does it mean to have faith? Have faith in what? Someone help me understand faith. How do we know by faith that this God is real and this God is present and this God sent Jesus into the world and this God is, uh, desires to be in relationship for us? Well, these faith statements, this construct of the Apostles' Creed points to a God who has revealed himself in real time who has revealed himself in beautiful ways throughout the, our history. Look at 1 John now. I told you we'd finally get to the text. 1 John 1.1, 1, 1. hear what the author says. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, objective, right? Which we have seen with of our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of God. What the author of 1 John is saying, there is objective truth. God has revealed himself to us and God reveals himself in many beautiful ways. Systematic theologian Thomas Oden says this about Revelation. Revelation is not primarily the imparting of information, but rather the self-giving and self-evidencing of God, God revealing himself in the world. And God does that in many beautiful ways. He does it in a general way, God's general revelation. God is the source of life. He's the creator of life itself and all creation points to God. General revelation is the smallness you feel at the edge of the Grand Canyon, right? Where all of a sudden you have no idea that God exists, but you immediately feel small in front of something that is massive. Or it's the emotion evoked as you're in the mountains on a, a beautiful fall and there's perfect weather around you or general revelation is about beauty and creativity that we see both in created things and art and those things in the world. Let me give you another example. Just recently, my wife bought this book for my son. He's three and a half years old. And this book is uh, about the human body. And immediately I was nervous because I, I keep finding these things in adulthood where I'm not ready to teach my kid about that. Like I'm not ready for those questions about the human body, all right? Don't leave me alone up here. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so we're reading through this book and it's really cool because you, it tells something about, this, uh, about the parts of the body, like what happens with air when we breathe it in and you shine a flashlight behind the page and like an x-ray, it shows the lungs in the middle of this human body. And I just remember reading it all the way through the other day with Luke and Luke like thinks the flashlight thing's cool, but it's a reminder to me of how beautiful God has made this world for these things to work. 
Y'all, I've shared about my son being a type one diabetic. And just to think about that we have a pancreas that breaks down food so that we can have energy so that we can walk around in this world. And even with type one diabetes to know that God has moved and created in this world so that people can create technology to reproduce what the pancreas does. That's God's general revelation in the world. Secondly, God has revealed himself in the history of Israel. God has become especially and conspicuously known through a particular history, the history of a people, the people of Israel. In order for God to reveal himself, God had to come at a time and a place to a people. Scholars call this the scandal of particularity. It's frustrating because we're like, if Jesus would just show up to my people, I could get it, right? But he came to those people a long time ago and it's hard for us to get our head around it. But listen, this book right here is not a life manual to give you all of the answers that you want in life. What this book is, is the story of God's history with God's people in the world. This is us right here. Have y'all seen that show, This Is Us? Man, I've got a love-hate relationship with This Is Us. My wife loves it, and it's one of the shows that I'm trying to endure with her through it. But it's frustrating, and I won't air that, that frustration with you. However, the reason why this, this show is so loved is because it takes the story of a family and their chaos, and it invites us into it. We watch some of the chaos, and we go, it's not just this is them, it is this is us. This is part of what we experience when life is hard and things go differently. This is us. We read it about a story of Israel and through this, God has revealed himself in God's word so that we might see how God will relate to you and me by the way he has related with the people of God of Israel and thereby Jesus Christ that he continues to relate to us as well which leads us finally to how do we know God? Well, the revelation of Jesus. Over and over again, the Bible talks about Jesus as the word of God, because Jesus is the word that God had for the world, right? It is the very spoken word of God moving and going throughout this world, encountering some of the hardships and difficulty that we face. Paul in the Bible says the fullness, the full revelation of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus by a man that really lived and really walked on this earth and really died and really, as we claim, rose again, we see and know God. Y'all, did you know that there are non-believing historians from early history around the time of Jesus that would never profess faith, even in the Jewish faith, but definitely never in the Christian faith that saw a real person named Jesus who started a bunch of chaos in the Middle East. They testify that there's this man that people are following and he claims to be God. And there are these extra biblical sources that talk about Jesus. The creed points to a historic man who is the revelation of God to us. Hidden behind the back of Jesus is not an unknown God. When we read scripture and we read about Jesus, we read about God. You wanna know a God of justice? See Jesus hang out with the poor and the destitute and those that you and I always overlook. If you want to know a God of love, see Jesus spend 
all of his time with his friends over meals and when they're being boneheads and buckaroos or whatever that is. And, and Jesus just loving them through all of this up and down. You want to know a God of mercy? See Jesus come back to those disciples when they abandoned him on his worst day. And they left him alone. You want to know a God of wisdom? See in all of the humanness of Jesus that he continually interacts in the world in the way that we're supposed to. You want to know a God of compassion? See Jesus weeping at his friend's tomb, Lazarus, and coming to be with the sisters. You want to know a God of compassion? See Jesus dying on the cross, even then saying, God, forgive them. They know not what they do. Hidden behind the back of Jesus is not an unknown no God. It is God who has revealed himself in beautiful ways. And this God can be known. And I must stop here because if you're in this room and you don't know how you feel about that, I pray that you would not stop in doubt, but your doubt would turn to curiosity and you might lean into this truth. Maybe over the next 15 weeks, maybe as you continue on this sermon series, but you might know Jesus who is the God man who reveals God and man to us. I hope you would know that truth. Third, how do we believe? How do we believe in this creed? How do we believe in this God? How do we put our hearts and our bodies and all that we have into this faith that we profess? Well, we believe in a lot of different ways. We believe in all these revelations, the general revelation, the revelation of God with Israel, the revelation of Jesus, but we also believe by the fellowship. I want you to see again what the author of 1 John says. He says, the life appeared we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. See, I want you to see John or the author of 1 John says the most amazing thing here. He says, that which was from the beginning, the one, the life who was in all things, through all things and created all things, he has come. We have seen him, we have touched him, we have been with him and he is now now in our small group. He's in our fellowship and we want you to be a part of it. And what I love about 1 John 1 through 4 is you could take the creed and you can put it right over 1 John. Because when John says from the beginning, we could say God, Father, maker of heaven and earth. When he says came the life into the world, we say Jesus, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. When we say, when he, John says we have seen, we say in our creed that he was really born, that he really died and that he was really raised. The content of the creed is right here. And what John is saying is that that living God is in our fellowship and we want you to know him. We want you to see it. We want you to experience it and be a part of it. And so he says, take our testimony and come join us. Come be with us. Y'all, if believing in the Trinity makes your brain hurt, it's okay. It does me too, right? And I went to seminary and it's hard for me to get my head around this. But the way Augustine puts it, I think is too good for us. If you can't understand, believe, and then you'll understand because God's trustworthiness is verified by experience. And listen, that doesn't make Christian belief and faith some kind of irrational leap into the dark. 
it's more like tasting that dish that you've never tried. It's more like tasting that meal that all of your friends have told you about. The chef says it's really good. You've looked up on Google and saw all of the good reviews. It's like tasting that thing that you haven't, or the psalmist puts it, we talked about it in the call to worship. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The first act is an act of trust that gives rise to an ever increasing certainty, which in turn nourishes a deeper and more knowledgeable trust. This is not blind faith. Let me try another illustration. To believe in this creed, we need the community, right? And I need you. What if I were to say that there's a stool over here behind me and I'm gonna sit at it, like right here? You would tell me not to, right? Church, you would tell me not to, right? You would think I was crazy. Don't go over there, there's not a stool. Do not sit down. That's blind faith, right? That's to say, I believe in this and to disregard the community that says, don't believe in that, it ain't there. Brother, you're not gonna sit down, right? Now, what if I had a stool? And this stool is over here, but I don't know where it is, right? And I tell the community, I need help finding this stool. Can you help me find this stool, right? I don't know where it is. I can't see it. Where is it, church? Right, keep going. Yeah, there you go, come on, help me out. Straight back, a little bit this way. Okay, I feel something, hopefully it's not a guitar pedal board. All right, right here? Okay. Friends, here's the truth. Some of us don't know how to find the stool. We don't know what it means to sit in it. We don't know what it means to believe in a triune God. We don't know what it means to believe in the virgin birth and the resurrection from the dead. We don't know what it means, but we have the witness of the fellowship. Those that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Those that have learned and been grabbed hold of the faith. And we not only have the witness of this community, thank you for helping me find the stool. That would have been awkward. But we have the witness of the whole church community that throughout history it says, There is a stool. I'm gonna take this analogy way too far, but there is a stool that saves. There is a one who has come into the world. There is a one who has come for us so that we might have intimacy with God. And the whole community has throughout history says, here it is, I wanna help you find it. And over the next 15 weeks, there are some of us in here that don't believe in this thing. And I get it. I get it but there are others in the room that have been here and they want desperately for you to know where it is and for you to sit in it and for you to trust in it and for you to not just come to a place where you say, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and I believe in Holy Spirit and then walk out the door like it means nothing else to you. But there is a group of people in here that desperately want to help you sit in this truth so that your life is changed from now on so that you might go through the waters of baptism and into new life that changes everything. So I pray over the next week, we're not just doing some sermon series through the summer, but we're standing on the truths of our faith. We are putting our lives on the line to say, this God can be known. This God has brought salvation, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life for now and always. And we believe it and we stand in it. I pray it be so for your life and for mine as well. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, let all God's people say, amen.